Welcome to The Plants We Eat, an investigation of the science, culture, and history behind the plants that we use for food. My name is Jeff Gilman. I'm the director of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm also a plant history enthusiast. And I'm Cindy Proctor, part-time instructor at Central Piedmont in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a garden coach professional. A garden coach professional. You change it every single time. I know. I like it. You know, the past two weeks, we've talked about two uh, foods that are frequently adulterated, and when they're adulterated, people get in trouble for adulterating them. Paprika and oregano. I mean, paprika, heck, we have a situation where lead oxide was added, which is obviously right. terrible. And oregano could be anything. Anything. Uh, often olive leaves. And people get in trouble for adulterating these foods. Well, today we're going to talk about a food which uh, probably none of you have actually had and yet it goes by, uh, you know, a, a certain plant's it's name. It's the norm. It's the norm. It is the norm for you not to get this food when you order it. That's what we should say. I, so we've, I've never had the pure form of it. Have you? Not that I know of. So okay. the, food, the food we're talking about is... Wasabi. Wasabi. <laughs> Sorry, and, I couldn't. And, <laughs> and you, uh, and speaking to the entire audience, have probably never had any significant amount. Now, Cindy, you just asked me whether I'd had it. I have not knowingly had any significant amount of it. There are some uh, wasabi pastes that do include a small percentage of real wasabi, but most of your wasabi paste that you get with your sushi is actually a combination of horseradish, mustard, and uh, a little bit of food dye. So let's talk about why wasabi tastes so good. <laughs> you want to talk about why? We can, we can absolutely talk about why, why does wasabi taste well, so good. Well, first of all, it, you know, there are people who like a lot of heat in their food and people who don't. It's really that simple. But wasabi is uh, for those who like heat, but it doesn't linger on your tongue. It really mm -hmm. just opens up your sinuses. And it's kind of fun while offering a, a significant addition to your sushi in, in taste. I, I, I agree completely. I love, I love my fake wasabi. <laughs> my fake. I, I, also, I also love horseradish. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, again, I don't want to pretend that I've had real, tasted real wasabi because I haven't. Um, but apparently real wasabi uh, lasts an even shorter time, is a little bit sweeter than the wasabi we're used to, and because it is a different plant, it has certain different flavors incorporated into it, which, which you can taste. More, more delicate, shorter-lasting burn time, and, uh, and a little bit more sweetness. And, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit later on the show, there are some places where you can get real oh, really? wasabi. Okay, now, I couldn't find those places, so that'll okay, be and I'm anxious. Okay. I'll mention those towards the end. One, okay. by the way, is North Carolina. Um, in fact, there's a there's actually a North Carolina North Carolina State fact sheet on how to grow wasabi. And I want to point out, so growing wasabi is a real art, and we're going to come back to this later. But I, I want to point out that when I looked for how wasabi is grown, there's this really amazing uh, article out there called "The Botany Uses and Production of Wasabi Japonica," and it's by this uh, researcher Catherine I. Chadwick and a couple of other coworkers, and uh, she was working out of Washington uh, State, and just a, just an incredible article, which many sections of what we're about to talk about came from. So just a really interesting researcher. So I absolutely love wasabi. I love it on sushi. I can eat it outside of a sushi. <laughs> I, can, uh, I can mix it up with a Bloody Mary, and it'll, and it'll make it taste better. Um, you put it on crackers. Put it on crackers. 
I, I love wasabi almost every way, almost every way that it comes with sashimi. Well, it looks interesting on a plate, too. It's very inviting it is. to use because, you know, my son my, uh, looked at sushi not too long ago and was very intrigued by the, or- the, the orange, Did the you green glob. Did he, you he, he, he didn't want to, so I was, <laughs> I was disappointed. Well, wasabi is a native of Japan. Now, it doesn't only come from Japan. You can find it in various uh, parts of Eastern Asia, but Japan is, is where it's most commonly uh, found. And there are actually two species of wasabi. One is known as yuri wasabi. Uh, that's a mountain wasabi. It actually comes from the mountains. It's uncultivated and not commonly used for food, which doesn't mean it's not edible. It's just very difficult to grow, um, as it will be a frequent, we'll frequently talk about in this, in this presentation. Look, wasabi is not an easy thing to grow. Uh, the other type of wasabi is sour wasabi, means swamp wasabi. And that's the cultivated kind. Um, that type of wasabi can be grown in all kinds of different systems, streams, ponds, even on land. But it is considered, most production systems are considered to be semi-water or semi-aquatic uh, production systems. Typically, flooded systems do produce the highest quality wasabi, uh, but these are expensive to build, the water has to be high in oxygen, and sulfur needs are high. The, the heat that you taste in a wasabi, the in wasabi, is actually sulfur-based. Uh, the compound that, it, that wasabi gets its heat from, and actually horseradish gets its heat from too, is allyl isothiocyanate. There are actually other compounds too, but that's the big one. That is the stuff that causes the pain in your nose. It makes it feel like all the hairs in your nose are going to fall out. <laughs> <laughs> it really does feel that way, doesn't it? When you, it you I mean, every time I do that, you know, this. I'm disturbed that I like that. <laughs> that, that, I, that it's you fun like, to eat wasabi. It's fun to feel like all the hairs in your nose are going to drop <laughs> out right. onto your upper lip. Oh, look, it happened to me. <laughs> Advantages of having a mustache. <laughs> um, wasabi is a member of the mustard family. Wasabi is actually most closely related to, of course, horseradish, but also broccoli, kale, mustard. Those are, those are the close relatives. Cauliflower is another one that, that's in that group. You know, in the past, we've talked about things like apples and uh, grapes, and we talk about all the many different cultivars of apples and grapes. Well, wasabi, there's only about 20 cultivars, and all of them uh, have relatively the, the same flavor. It's not, you know, we don't get those big differences like we get between apples. Some have more and less heat, but they're all supposed to be pretty close to the same flavor. Now, one thing that I was really tempted to, or I shouldn't say tempted to, but I'd really like to find out about, you know how we eat you know, in an, earlier, um, in an earlier discussion, we talked about onions, and we talked about how sweet onions were grown in low sulfur ground. Wouldn't it be interesting to grow horseradish or wasabi in a low sulfur ground to see what they tasted like when you took out some of that heat? I don't, I don't know. Intuitively, I don't think it would be the same. Uh, intuitively, I don't think it would be the same either. But at the same time, I mean, an onion. How do you think an onion you know, would well, taste? Well, it just seems there? more of a sink than uh, than a wasabi I guess. plant does. But I guess. But you're I, the scientist, I, not me. I'd just like to try it. Just like to find <laughs> out. I just want to find out. Now, wasabi has been used in the East for a long, long time. It's been used medicinally since about 700 A.D., or at least we have records of it being used since at least around 700 A.D. And Grown for medicinal purposes, uh, cultivation actually dates back to the 10th century. 
having said that, it wasn't a heavy cultivation. And when you look at secondary reports, and of course these are secondary reports because I can't read Japanese, um, <laughs> what, it, what, it, what it looks like is that it was not what we consider a major medicinal. Uh, it, was a, it was kind of second. It was definitely there, but not so significant. In about 1200 AD, wasabi started to gain popularity as a food. There was actually a wasabi soup that was eaten by Zen Buddhist monks. And can't you just see the monks saying, you know, which, who could drink the hottest uh, wasabi soup? I, I, I bet it was spiritual. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> I bet it was. Um, around 1400 is when it was first used as a ground condiment for fish, but it was first cultivated heavily in Japan around 1600. Here in the West, um, science didn't have a lot to do with things like food preservation for a long time. Basically, something smelled pungent, and so, hey, that had to be effective. Well, the same thing was actually true in the East. Wasabi was known as something that was effective, not so much because of science, but because it smelled strong, tasted strong. So it was assumed to have certain effects, particularly effects on controlling disease. And uh, modern history of wasabi really starts around 1800 when it started to be used as a seasoning for sushi. And it was seen as a good seasoning for sushi because it reduced the fishy smell of old sushi and also because it controlled bacterial growth. And of course, bacterial growth wasn't something, they, they realized, of course, that there was disease, but they didn't realize that they had these bacteria. But wasabi, um, that allele isothiocyanate, that does work to control bacterial growth, and we know that. In fact, if you look at the, these compounds in, in wasabi, we actually see that in vitro, and by the way, in vitro means in tests outside of the body, so they're not really realistic. Um, but in in vitro tests, they actually find that wasabi can do things like control bacteria, and can also control the growth of certain cancers, which is very interesting, although currently it doesn't have any practical right. use. <laughs> but the problem with in vitro tests is they're great when you first do them. It's like, oh, wow, this stuff controls everything. But when you add that to a more complex system, for example, a body and not a single type of cell, you don't get the same responses. Right. There are so many exciting discoveries in vitro and then in vivo, which is in the body, it just doesn't work. So now the pain receptors for wasabi. These are fascinating because the pain receptors for wasabi are actually closely related to, but not the same as, the receptors that sense capsaicin. And you know capsaicin, right? The hot pepper right. compound. So they're actually similar. And these receptors are concentrated in, you know it, the, <laughs> the nose. <laughs> the nose, exactly right. So we have these, these receptors concentrated in the nose. And this is extremely valuable. You know why it's valuable? Because there's a company in Japan called Seams. And this company has done something really cool. They developed a fire alarm for the deaf, which emits wasabi smell, which wakes people up if there's a fire. Now that's interesting. Isn't that cool? That is cool. And what they found is that this wasabi, when it's you know really potent, it, it is guaranteed to wake people up in less than two minutes. You can't stay asleep when you smell this stuff. Wow, the thoughts I'm having. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine these smoke detectors no. emitting this wasabi No, smell? but I love it. That's a, isn't that's a that, fabulous isn't idea. Isn't that great? Fabulous approach. So wasabi was basically unknown in the West. You know, we, have the, we, we know all about the history, or at least we know a good deal about the history of wasabi in Asia, but wasabi was not really well known 
to us here in the West. Well, it wasn't until sushi became really popular. I mean, you right. didn't see a sushi restaurant until, what, the 80s? Well, 90s? it was very rare Maybe until was, the 80s. Yeah. But I do have some information from one of the first people to really take an interest in wasabi in Asia or in Japan. And that, that report is from a guy named David Fairchild. Now, David Fairchild is one of the great uh, modern, I'll call him modern, it was late 1800s, early 1900s, but one of the great modern plant explorers. And I have in front of me a book of his that I love to read. Uh, and I, this is a book, I can open this to any page and start reading. Uh, he's such a vivid writer. And he talks about his introduction to wasabi in Japan. And he also talks about uh, briefly trying wasabi here in the United States. And say, David Fairchild, if any of you are in Florida or have traveled to southern Florida, you may have heard of Fairchild Gardens. Fairchild Gardens are name, named after David Fairchild. Um, his father was an academic, ran, uh, was president of two universities. But actually, the funny story with him is that he actually got most of the funding for his plant exploration from a guy he met on a cruise. <laughs> he met a rich guy on a cruise. The guy loved what he was doing and just paid for him to go to these different places, including to Japan. But I, wanna, I wanted to read this, and this, this report comes from about 1903. This is David Fairchild's report of being introduced to wasabi. Now, prior to this paragraph I'm about to read, uh, he had mentioned all the raw fish that he had to eat and how this raw fish made him quite ill. All right, now, the raw fish, which I had such difficulty learning to appreciate, was nearly always accompanied by wasabi, a grated green horseradish which I really enjoyed. Probably my previous interest in horseradish made me particularly notice this vegetable. And before returning to Tokyo, Yendo and I visited a wasabi grower in a mountain valley, Shedzuoka. Both the wasabi and our own horseradish are members of the same family, the cruciferae, which by the way is changed, the large heart-shaped leaves rising on slender stalks covered the sides of the narrow-shaped valley where the ground was saturated with water from the many springs which trickled down the slopes. The short rootstocks are produced in a single season, and from them is made the pungent condiment. I tried to grow this in America, but found it difficult to discover the right conditions for its culture. Now, you see, to me, that's just very well written. He writes with energy. If you're interested in plant exploration, there is a recent book that came out called The Food Explorer, and it's by Daniel Stone. Uh, it's From everything I can tell, I've read a few pages of it. Um, I've certainly seen plenty of reports. It's a fun, readable book. But let me tell you, having read Fairchild's book, um, the original work is a lot better. I say Fairchild's book. He wrote five or six books on plant exploration. Um, this book, The World Was My Garden, actually won a, uh, a National Book Award as the bookseller discovery of 1938. And uh, you might ask what the, uh, what the bookseller discovery award is. Well, the bookseller discovery award is, uh, is for the most deserving book which failed to receive adequate sales and recognition, <laughs> <laughs> which is just sad. And that's the way I think of this book. It's, it, it is a forgotten book but it is wonderfully readable. Um, just for the section on wasabi, I think that this book is worth the time and effort. So you might ask how traditionally wasabi is prepared. Well, in its most traditional preparation, uh, what happens is the root, and it's not actually the root, it's actually the stem, is, is stood on a grater. And the grater is actually made of a piece of shark skin, which is stapled to a wooden paddle. And then using a circular, clockwise motion, you press this, uh, it's actually a rhizome, down 
grind it around, and a paste is formed. And that paste should then be used in only a few minutes after it's done because otherwise a lot of that heat is going to dissipate and all the flavor is going to dissipate. Apparently that is a fun ceremony, if you will, yeah. at Japanese restaurants. Which I think would be great to see. It's like making guacamole fresh in Mexican <laughs> restaurants. You have fresh wasabi. I, I love fresh guacamole. Yes. I would love to try fresh wasabi. I know, me too. You know, I read a number of different estimates about how much of our wasabi is real here in the United States, and I never saw an estimate that was any any better than 99% fake. So I, I read, too, that it, it should be called Western wasabi, and then yes. Japanese wasabi should be called Japanese wasabi. But, you know, I read a number of different estimates for how often it was fake in Japan, and they said that 95% of the time oh, no, it was I didn't fake see in Japan. The, well, problem, the problem is that this food is so hard to grow that the food will never meet the demand. Well, it restricts its wide cultivation for right. it to be in commercial use. So I, I, would, I would think more of a high-end restaurant would have it, maybe not even here, it would be in Japan. You know, the funny thing, when I went onto Amazon and looked for real too. wasabi. I did too. Well, you, can find, you can find wasabi paste with real wasabi. But generally, that amount of real wasabi is like 1% or 2%. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel like it was in packets and it was, uh, it was expensive just yeah. for the packets. So I was like, I don't feel like I can trust this because I, I, uh, I did look at that. Now, have you ever had uh, products that was coated with a wasabi powder? Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's definitely another way, even though it's a Western probably wasabi, yeah. to enjoy it. You know, like peanuts and nuts, you have wasabi coated. Yeah, I've had wasabi yeah, coated okay. peanuts and wasabi coated. Yeah, yes. They're good. I like they them. are good. So at this point, you're asking yourself, how can I get real wasabi? This is sad. I mean, I just think any other industry, you know, the growers would be saying, we need real wasabi. But these people, the people who grow this so can't meet demand that they seem not to care that the fake wasabi is being sold. Anyway, where do you get real wasabi? I've, got, uh, I've actually got two places for you. First, Pacific Coast Wasabi, uh, which has growing operations in British Columbia, Michigan, Washington, and Oregon. And it's producing a decent amount of wasabi. It's, it's expensive. Um, I think that uh, what I saw recently was a half a pound f costs uh, $70. <laughs> so this is, this is pricey stuff, but Pacific Coast Wasabi does have real wasabi. Now, here in North Carolina, we have another wasabi producer. It's called Real Wasabi, and you can just type into your Google search, Real Wasabi, and North Carolina also produces real wasabi. And just so you all know, um, we recently, uh, we had a, a patron of the gardens give us a few hundred dollars and say, I really want you to go buy some wasabi and try and grow it. So we're actually going to be buying in some wasabi root. You'll have a greenhouse situation. We will. So what's the common denominator between those two places that uh, you mentioned you can buy real wasabi? Cool, shady and cool. Yes, and so it is an understory plant, and it just needs perfection in order for it to, to grow well, which is kind of unusual. We can manipulate, you know, things a little bit. So I'll be interested to see how your greenhouse grows. I'm really curious, too. I plan on buying it. We received enough money that we should have enough to grow a little bit uh in containers, and then we'll plant one or two outside and see how it goes. But my hope is that the ones in containers grow. You know, I was reading about diseases. Um, first of all, wasabi doesn't seem to be able to tolerate sun for hardly any period of time. Right. And um, it, it seems to, with the wrong irrigation, which is very easy to do for a plant this delicate, 
With the wrong irrigation, there are just a number of diseases which take it out and and make it pass away, <laughs> which is just very sad. So I, I can't wait to try it, but uh, I have to say that while I'm excited about trying it, I'm not optimistic about the chances to get it to grow to any more than container size. So this is the first time we've talked about a food that we can hardly grow. It is. It is. I mean, it's just a, it's just a tough-to-grow crop. Reading about it, in Japan, finding this stuff in the wild, I mean, it just grows under perfect conditions. It was also interesting to me that when you grow wasabi, you build a place to grow it. You can't just scrape up a field and, and grow it. Uh, it's unlikely to do well. I shouldn't say it definitely won't do well because there were some farmers who, who did manage to do something like that. But generally speaking, you need to have, you need to create that semi-water production system. And if you can't create the semi-water production system and provide the right type of water, it's going to fail. You need a cool water, which can be heavily oxygenated, which is a complex way of saying that you need to uh, constantly have it bubbling. Uh, by bubbling the water, by having it go over rocks, uh, it, it uh, grabs more air, more oxygen, mm -hmm. and makes it better able to, to handle the wasabi. I did read a few situations where it was grown hydroponically, which I would love to try also. I used to do a lot of hydroponic growing, and right now I don't have the systems, but that would be fun. So, wasabi, what do you think? <laughs> I'm just going to smile when I order sushi. <laughs> and because uh, and, uh, it, it, know that I'm having uh, food coloring added to horseradish and mustard. <laughs> but have a good attitude about it and enjoy it. Well, it makes perfect sense. One other thing that I thought was fascinating was that people will actually um, plant entire forests to grow wasabi as an understory plant. It's pretty. It, it is a pretty, pretty it's plant. It's a large-leafed plant, yeah. and, it, and it spreads by rhizomes. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, easy, it's, it's, it's understandable in that regard. It's, it's uh, ironic that it's so difficult. But. It is. Well, thank you for listening to The Plants We Eat. This show is produced by College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, along with help from the Isle Group at UNC Charlotte. And we look forward to talking to you next time.